This episode is sponsored by Icono TV. Icono TV makes art accessible to people's screens through the free streaming of a unique library of films and videos with different topics around art. The content is licensed for museums, artists, and filmmakers. Icono TV aims to be the Netflix for art. Art is known to positively impact emotions, reduce stress levels, trigger the intellect, and entertain. Visit iconotv.art, that's spelled I-K-O-N-O-T-V dot A-R-T, or download the Icono TV app on your smartphone. On this episode, we have Robert Kane. After attending Harvard and the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, Rob followed his lifelong passion and began his entertainment career. He developed the usual suspects while working for Aaron Spelling, after which he worked at Wesley Snipes Production Company. While at J.P. Morgan, he worked on the MGM IPO. He then migrated to Russia and worked on producing films, including the Oscar-nominated Mongol. He consults on China-based film projects and continues to actively write screenplays. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I'd love to start with um, where you grew up, which was back on the East Coast, correct? Well, yes, I was born in New York, uh, in Manhattan, but uh, actually grew up kind of all over the place. Uh, family lived in, I guess, five or six states when I was growing up, and then uh, I've lived in a, a few more, and uh, and then, it, it, well, if I count myself as not being entirely mature even now, um, then I guess you could say I've grown up in about a half a dozen uh, uh, countries as well. Yes, no, it's impressive all the different locations you've been in work-wise. Um, but growing up, those various moves, um, what was that related to? Uh, your parents were just changing jobs? or Yes, a lot of moving around. My father, uh, his career was in the retailing business, specifically department store uh, uh, management, and then he moved his way up into corporate. Uh, and the way you moved up was by moving around. Um, so ultimately, we landed. It was a company called Federated Department Stores, and the headquarters was in Cincinnati. So that's where uh, a good chunk of my childhood, um, I, I wound up uh, growing up there. So did you go to high school in Cincinnati? I started high school in Cincinnati, and then we moved again, another uh, career switch for my dad, uh, and uh, I finished high school in Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Um, so you were in New England, and so heading to uh, Cambridge for college wasn't uh, too far a drive at that point. That's right, yeah. What kinds of activities were you involved in uh, in high school and uh, growing up? Oh, gee, I was, um, I guess, both an athlete and uh, someone who was just intellectually curious and so really devoted to my studies as well. Um, I played uh, soccer, uh, I was a swimmer, um, ran cross country and track and field. So those were, aside from swimming, those three sports uh, I, I played and lettered in high school. Uh, and then I, I wrote for the yearbook, uh, I was an editor, and um, probably a couple other things I'm forgetting, but it's been a long time. Yeah, for sure, but uh, it's, challenging to juggle that many demands on your time. That's really impressive. What uh, position did you play in soccer? Uh, both a, um, a wing. Uh, I was center forward also. And then, um, but my favorite was really uh, midfield. Yeah. I like 
just the running around. So, well, um, I kind of see you as a midfield operative, very because I know how cerebral you are. So that's the playmaker, the one who sets everything up, and I can imagine that would be very fulfilling to you. I yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way. It does require yes, a, a, an ability to read the field, to know your your players, uh, and who to feed it to when and uh, where they're going to be on the field. You're right. Yeah. What were some of the books you enjoyed reading in high school? Well, I was um, uh, introduced to a lot of things in school. So I became a big uh, Mark Twain fan, uh, thanks to an English teacher um, whose name I'm now forgetting. But uh, yeah, I, I wound up reading things like Huckleberry Finn and, and Tom Sawyer uh, for the class. And that introduced me to, you know, uh, I wound up reading uh, another seven or eight books of his, I guess, and short stories. Um, Dickens, also through school. Uh, that was cool. A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And, uh, oh, oh my, my favorite, actually, I think. I love that story. Yeah, I've always been drawn to that one, too. Yeah, interesting. And so um, at Harvard, you studied East Asian studies. What was the attraction there? I guess I have to go back to when I was about 12 years old. And I, I had this uh, uh, living in Cincinnati, Ohio, never having been anywhere really outside of the country and just having this epiphany. We had an old, a big old uh, a sycamore tree in the backyard I used to climb. And I remember very distinctly uh, sitting there in the tree and just, you know, enjoying myself and being struck by this epiphany about China. Um, and uh, I don't know where it came from. It was kind of a bolt out of the blue. But uh, we, as a, with my family, we would go to Chinese dinners uh, every week or two. And uh, they also had a good Chinese art collection uh, at the, the museum in Cincinnati. The biggest inspiration for me, though, was a sh an old show called Kung Fu, which was David Carradine, if you remember, uh, in the Old West. Um, being this very cool Zen sort of philosophical monk who could also fight. And uh, I think that's just so perfect for you, Rob, given what you will do later in the film industry. <laughs> there's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of jujitsu, I guess I would say in that. Um, so I decided, yeah, when I was 12, I wanted to learn everything I could about China and uh, uh, Harvard had and still does have a very good program um, in Chinese language instruction, but even more so in the uh, studies of history and art and culture in China. So yeah, I decided to try it out. I started studying Chinese. It was tough, uh, but I took to it. And then just kind of my, my interest branched out and wound up doing the major. My parents were, let's say, a little, uh, <laughs> a little dubious, um, but they didn't fight me on it. Uh, and it turned out to have been a great decision because China and, and Asia has been a big part of my life. Uh, I met a, a nice Korean girl um, while I was in college and we got married and, and uh, have kids. So uh, I spent a lot of time, turns out I spent a lot of my time in Asia now and have really ever since. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Um, so between Harvard and getting your MBA at Wharton, what were the types of things you were doing? Well, I, after a brief stint in um, working at a hospital in Rhode Island right after college, uh, where I was working for the CFO, and there's some stories there, uh, um, and that 
actually turned out to be uh, a precursor to a lot of work I've done over the years in healthcare. But um, I landed myself a job back in Cambridge, in fact, in Harvard Square, uh, working for what was then a small but growing uh, consulting firm called uh, Monitor Company, Monitor Group, founded by a bunch of Harvard Business School professors, uh, one of them named Michael Porter, whose uh, reputation is Porter's Five Forces. Yes, yes, you know him, and uh, he's written some very influential books. Um, being the 22-year-old kid, uh, you know, going into the offices of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and I guess faking it till you make it. Great. And so you were with Monitor until you went for your MBA? And they asked me to go uh, open an office in Milan, but uh, the East was calling, you know, Asia, and I wound up getting myself uh, a consulting gig in China. Um, and again, back in healthcare, this was uh, for a pharmaceutical company, a Swiss pharmaceutical company, uh, Sandoz Pharmaceuticals. Oh, that's fantastic. Work in. I wound up living in uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and then a little bit on the mainland uh, in China. Whereabouts in the mainland? In uh, Shanghai. Shanghai, sure. Yeah, now that's become a bit of a pharmaceutical hub, I know, uh, in recent years. That's great. Um, let's go back to this hospital experience in Rhode Island. Something. And uh, there was a request for uh, an expert in Microsoft Excel. I knew nothing about Excel, nothing at all. But uh, the, I had a phone interview and I said, oh, sure, yeah, I, I, I know Excel. And with the plan that I would um, learn it over the weekend. <laughs> And I love that. That is so great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, I bought a book, probably Excel for dummies or something like that. And, uh, and learned enough that I was able to really glide in and, uh, pass myself off as someone who knew what he was doing. And then I learned on the job. That's great. No, that's fantastic. So, um, you've had this experience in China. What, uh, prompted the decision to get your MBA? Yeah, it, it was really something I had just kind of deferred. I, I knew I was going to go back and get a graduate degree. Uh, and the opportunity came up to go live in China for a while. So I did that. Uh, my uh, The thing I had been resisting, uh, mostly, I guess, out of uh, some self-doubt and, and a little bit of fear, was uh, this call to go work in the entertainment industry, go work in movies and TV. And so the decision... For me, after a couple years working in uh, Asia was, okay, I know I'm going back. Should I go for an MBA or a uh, film degree, film school? And uh, it wasn't so much parental pressure. I just knew what they would have preferred. Uh, And also, I think more than that, again, I was just hedging my bets. And I thought, well, if I go to film school, and either I don't do well or I don't like it, I'm kind of stuck. Uh, if I go get an MBA, it's a fairly general, generalized degree. I can go off in various directions. It was a practical decision. One I'm not really proud of. I, I, I like to think I go after what I want, and I've become more comfortable with that kind of uh, attitude. But at the time, it felt like the right decision. So uh, opportunity came up to go to Wharton. And, um, I mean, I applied, of course, to a few schools and uh, I wound up at Wharton, which was a, a very happy decision. So you described um, the, uh, the entertainment industry as um, you were resisting it. 
Um, share with us about that, and particularly like the first um, colonel, other than uh, Kung Fu, uh, to <laughs> where where you had that spark or that desire, and then why the resistance? Was it about uh, parental approval, or share with us? Yeah, maybe I think a little bit about parental approval. I've never actually been one to march to the beat of my parents' drum. Um, uh, I'm not exactly a rebel either, but you know, if I decide there's something I want to do and it, it doesn't uh, accord with their wishes, I'll probably go ahead and do it anyway. Um, uh, no, my parent. In fact, my parents had some quite a lot to do with my my love of entertainment. My um, my mother had been had worked for. United Artists when she was younger. And then my, both of my parents were uh, very involved in community theater. So they were actors and uh, I would go, you know, I think every weekend for years, I sat watching them rehearse or, or going to see their performances. And they drafted me into a few things where I, I was on stage acting or singing. That's so great. And so, yeah, that was a nice, very nice sort of organic way. Uh, and I fell in love with movies uh, from, you know, uh, as far back as I could remember the, the, the way they made me feel. Uh, and I really did want to be a storyteller. Um, and despite having been pretty creative as a kid, I wasn't sure, uh, wasn't confident enough, I guess, about my ability to go and just show up in Hollywood and really make things happen for myself. And so I put it off for a few years and, you know, I, I went and got obviously this degree that had nothing to do with entertainment, the MBA, uh, but what I did was I turned it into an, an uh, basically an, an entertainment MBA. I, every class I took, I would, uh, you know, look at the economics of theme parks or, uh, I did some, I, I spent my summer, uh, in between years of business school, uh, turned down a very nice lucrative, uh, offer, uh, to do consulting in healthcare, uh, which was something I couldn't really afford not to do, but I didn't do it anyway. And I went and worked for free. Uh, for a company called New Line Cinema, um, as a summer intern, unpaid, and uh, and for the Writers Guild, that was the beginning for me of you know, an entertainment career. A, a summer between years in business school. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and um, so post MBA, a lot of the work you did was uh, like on the development, distribution, executive side. Yeah. And um, uh, I was thrilled to learn that you were involved with the Usual Suspects, which is a favorite of many. <laughs> yeah. That was nice. It came as a complete shock, I would say, to all of us. Uh, uh, you know, I can't claim that much credit. What I did was um, my my role at the time. I was working for uh, a company called Spelling Entertainment, the, the very famous Aaron Spelling. Yeah, we got this this uh, young director Brian Singer, and um, I, I didn't have a whole lot to do with it, but had a script that none of us could really quite figure out what this was going to be. Um, uh, weren't really sure if he was going to turn out to be anything. And, um, and we kind of left him alone. So he came back to us with a first cut. And I remember sitting in a screening room and everybody at the end of it, just our jaws dropped. And we thought, wow, where did that come from? Just like the rest of us who experienced it in the theater. Yeah, I, I hope so. Oh, that's great. Uh, you were also involved with Blade 2? Well, yeah, I uh, I worked with, um, this was a few years later, <clears throat> after I left Spelling, I went to work with Wesley Snipes uh, and helping him to build his company. And um, yeah, one of the pictures, obviously he was the star of the Blade series. So I had some involvement with that. Um, 
got to know Guillermo del Toro a little bit. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. He was a treat. He was, he was really great. That's fantastic. Share with us, Rob, how you go from there to relocating to Russia. Mm. And, uh, and I know that it was involved with a movie theater chain there that you got, you, you, you became aligned with, but then you started producing and getting involved with, uh, movies and, uh, kind of really bringing that film scene into something that, uh, was, was really avant-garde and, uh, uh, more cinematic than where the stories had, had been in the past. Yeah, it, it was such an interesting time in Russia. I had transitioned uh, after uh, I left Spelling. I had a startup with um, a company called Idea Lab here in Pasadena that didn't work out. And uh, so I found myself, uh, let me see, I, uh, oh, I went to JP Morgan and did some investment banking for a while, entertainment related stuff. Oh, that's when you did the uh, MGM IPO. That's right. Yeah. And so I spent a few months looking at various uh, potential acquisitions for them and settled finally on um, the uh, Arts and Entertainment Network and Bravo. They were uh, both under Rainbow Holdings. And I said, we should buy this company. The IPO worked out and they wound up selling those same uh, networks a few years later for something like four or five times what they paid. So yeah. Bravo's with NBC universal now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now it'd be great to hear about um, the Russia experience. This fellow who had been building uh, theaters, uh, movie theaters around the world. And he was looking for some help in Russia. The, it was as things often are in Russia, gigantic, very ambitious plan. Um, They're probably, (laughs) little chance of succeeding. Uh, but um, it was, uh, and I didn't learn later until later who the uh, real employer was, but uh, it looked exciting. What they had was they planned to build thousands of theaters and they thought, well, we're going to have these theaters. We're going to need to put movies into them. And so they thought, well, let's have someone who knows how to make movies come and help us do that. So that was the position. It was to set up a film production company for this or division for this company that was building the theaters. Um, and uh, I liked the mission also, which was, this was 2003. Uh, Russia was just coming out of the IMF crisis where everybody's savings had been wiped out. There'd been a terrible, I, I think it was a depression in Russia. Um, the movie business had been shut down for, really since 1989 when the fall of the Soviet Union happened. Um, so there weren't movies, there were hardly any movies being made and hardly anyone who knew how to do it anymore. Uh, so my job was to come over. And, and part of the mission also was to tell stories about heroic Russians to help restore pride to Russia and also present a face to the world with movies uh, about Russia that was positive because there's there had been, I guess there still is a pretty negative global perception of that country. And um, you immediately ran into problems because there was no quality with what was available you were finding. Yeah, there was a uh, one film school, um, part of Moscow State University that was doing, a, I thought, a bad job of teaching writers. Uh, so... Nobody, I, I would say, uh, with one exception, I couldn't find anybody who knew the first thing about writing a screenplay. Um, 
and I wound up, I had a, a couple of assistants doing some reading for me, but I also wound up teaching myself enough Russian that I could read at least pitches and, um, and treatments and things like that. And uh, it was all awful. Um, and uh, fortunately, one script came along with a producer attached uh, and, um, and we quickly attached a director um, that was, I thought, really very good. Uh, the, the writer had, and director had worked together previously on a film that was nominated for the uh, Oscar. Oh, this was Mongol. Uh, well, this, this new project was Mongol, yes. And um, which also, yes, we, we wound up making and uh, was also nominated uh, uh, for the, um, the best foreign film. Um, Great. Congratulations on that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I, this being Russia, I got, they, they took my name off the picture, but, um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't pay me a bunch of money that they owed me. Uh, Robert Kane didn't sound like uh, Dmitry uh, Volinskaya enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, they could get away with it. So yeah, I learned a lot in Russia. Let's say that was one of the lessons. So came back and um, this, yeah, early 2006. And then um, you replied to yet another call from the Far East. Uh, and I'm thinking about uh, Pacific Bridge. Um, and when, when did you launch that entity? This is a consulting firm that's focused on uh, assisting production companies, producers, uh, corporations, um, looking to do business in China, uh, making films there, setting up partnerships. And, and as well, uh, I did a lot of work for Chinese companies, um, uh, Shanghai Film Studios, uh, um, uh, China Film, uh, China Film Group, uh, and, and others. So it was all of it focused on China and Asia. Uh, but the clients were all over the place. You know, Rob, it's uh, you're a true polymath. You are involved in so many different arenas, um, and um, you, you know, I, I know that uh, you're also involved with a, a biotech startup. Um, so, uh, you know, share a little bit about that. And also, I think what would be really telling is how do you decide to split your time, and where do the percentages go? It, it, yeah, it's two poles. Uh, it seems like they would be very different. Uh, uh, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, and entertainment. Um, but the, the the activities that I'm, I'm t undertaking, they're pretty much the same across both, with one exception, which is the creative stuff that I, I do, um, uh, namely screenwriting. But generally speaking, whether I'm working uh, at a biotech or I'm working on a, a film production, I'm still mostly doing the strategy work, the finance work, um, the deal making, dealing with contracts. Um, and, uh, and then the, the part that I enjoy, the part that feeds my soul is the creativity. Uh, and I get even to apply that, uh, as well in both fields. So, um, the way I wind up in one place or another, sometimes it's circumstance, uh, right now, the entertainment industry is effectively shut down, so I'm putting all of my energy into the, the healthcare. There are two ventures I'm working on. Um, sometimes something really uh, exciting comes along, and I just say, "Okay, you know, I'll, wherever it is, uh, I'll go after it." That's great. Um, let's chat a little bit more about the creativity side and uh, the screenwriting that you're doing. Um, when did you first have that urge to write a screenplay? 
Oh, way back. Yeah, I was still in college. In fact, I had in my head and kind of sketched out on paper an idea for a screenplay. But um, at the same time, I mentioned this hesitation, this lack of confidence. It really probably had more to do with uh, writing, screenwriting, uh, and and telling stories that would be uh, worthy of an audience's attention. So, yeah, I first got the idea when I was 20, 20 years old, 21, uh, to do that, and didn't really... Uh, push through those those concerns, those fears, uh, until many years later. Gotcha. H- have you been writing throughout? Yes, uh, I take breaks from it, and I have spurts of activity. But um, even now, I'm working on something. Yeah. Well, so how many screenplays would you say you've worked on? Uh, about seven or eight. Um, mostly, I've written them myself. I collaborated on one. And I should mention, uh, I've had a few smaller things produced, but I haven't yet uh, gotten my screenplays produced. So that's something I'm working on uh, for, you know, I'd love to get something going later this year. Of the various roles in the entertainment industry that you've played, what speaks to you the most? Uh, The writing for sure. Uh, And and it's a a double-edged sword. It's, It's tough. Uh, sometimes it's really painful, um, but you get those days when uh, you just write really smoothly, and you you know you go six or seven hours, and um, and at the end of it, you feel like you've really put something good down on paper, and um, and then being able to share uh, those stories and um, and have people really enjoy them, uh, get something out of them. Uh, that's so fulfilling. And, uh, and, and I've won some awards too. I mean, that part is nice. It's not really um, what uh, I'm doing it for, but that's helped me to build my confidence uh, too. So That's great. Um, well, I've had the pleasure of reading one of your screenplays, Gagarin. Yeah, thank you. For reading it's, uh, exceptionally well written. Um, tell us about how that came about. Yeah, so, okay, going, this is where I can talk about my employer in uh, Russia. Uh, uh, I had been there a little while and I learned that, um, my boss was actually the Kremlin. (laughs) I knew I was doing some work for the Russian Orthodox church. Um, and they were partnered with basically Vladimir Putin. Um, the, the uh, chairman of our board of directors was this guy, Yakunin, who was the, uh, minister of railroads for Russia and, uh, a close buddy of Putin. They were, they were, they were pals. Um, I was not too happy <laughs> to learn this because uh, although he'd only been in office three or four years, I could really see Putin for what he was, and it was not uh, something I liked. But so now I'm in this job, um, and I've gotten this one picture going, uh, Mongol, and I couldn't find anything else. Uh, my bosses seemed to like me. Uh, they did. They, they they enjoyed having me there, but I. I thought um, the consequences of letting them down (laughs) could be potentially pretty severe. Uh, These guys, it was an open secret that they were just killing people who they didn't like or got in their way. I didn't really think that would happen, but I I didn't want to think about what, you know, might happen if uh, suddenly they decided they didn't like me anymore. So not being able to find any screenplays, uh, I decided I better write something because I'm, and this is not hubris or arrogance at all, but I know I can write better than this garbage I've been looking at. 
Um, so it was really out of fear. <laughs> that, uh, I, 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 um, I came up with this idea. I talked to the writer of Mongol about what can I do? I'm looking for stories about Russian heroes. And he said, well, you know, there's only really only one Soviet hero. Uh, there's only one who was allowed that status. And that was Yuri Gagarin. So uh, I thought, great. And I embarked on that. I thought it would be easy being a, a you know, a true story. Uh, it was anything but. I think it was the hardest script I've written. Um, but that got me going. I, I uh, had, let's say, plenty of external motivation uh, to start writing. That's great. Uh, well, and I appreciated the humor that you um, uh, put into that. Uh, the one um, Communist Party member who uh, uh, would slip everywhere he went and would sort of uh, curse <laughs> under his breath, Mother Russia. <laughs> that guy was his name was Goldblum, uh, the character, and he was uh, absolutely just Jeff Goldblum from the right stuff. And um, it won you an award. Yes, there have been two contests that I've regularly submitted to the um, the Motion Picture Academy has a competition called the Nickel Fellowship. Uh, it is really the most prestigious competition for. Uh, screenwriters who, uh, apart from the Academy itself. The first time I submitted, it was a semifinalist out of uh, six or 7,000 entries. It was in the top, I want to say 100 or 150. Um, and then I, I kind of set it aside for a while and wound up rewriting it and submitting it. And they picked it uh, as one of the, the, one of the winners, one of the finalists, uh, top, top 10. That's fantastic. Well done on that. Yeah, thanks. I'm just, uh, I'm so fascinated with uh, this list. Um, you have worked in China, Russia, India, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, Mexico, the United Kingdom, Italy, the United Arab Emirates, and Canada. And Canada seems rather pedestrian after going through that uh, long exotic list, but um, you have really seen so much of the world. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know where this, it's a wanderlust. I, I just love to travel and see places, uh, uh, engage with people and cultures and food and art and things like that. Well said, very well said. And uh, I mean, I'm very tempted to ascribe your affinity to learn about and be involved with other cultures to your upbringing. And it sounded like your parents were very open and exposing you not only to, to theater from other areas, but you talked about how um, you know, leading up to that uh, epiphany in the sycamore tree, you were having Chinese dinners uh, on a regular basis. So they were exposing you to other cultures and, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, this whole conversation has been really phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thanks for Achieve is recorded at Subtractive and Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.